Let's get back to our weather report from God's Word today, both here and in our Renew service. You know, it used to be that uh, talking about the weather was, uh, was a metaphor for um, a shallow and a surface kind of conversation, right? You'd say, what'd you guys talk about? And you'd say, well, basically just about the weather. Nothing significant, nothing controversial. Today, it's right up there with religion and politics as divisive and explosive because you start talking about the weather, at some point it inevitably turns to and ultimately gets stuck in the muck of climate change, right? Want to liven up a conversation? Just bring up the weather. Sit back, watch the storm blow in, right? Today, in our summer weather report series, we're going to start talking about climate change. The solution that nobody talks about. This is going to be part one today, and uh, three weeks from now on September 1st, the long weekend, we're going to talk about the second part of climate change. We've been talking about various weather patterns that we encounter in life, sunny days, gray days, stormy days, dark days, and how our outlook and our attitudes and our feelings tend to be influenced way more than they need to be by these outward circumstances. And now we're beginning to recognize in our world today that that climate has at least some influence on weather, and that human behavior has at least some influence on climate. Now that's true in a little different way, that the climate of our hearts, how we see things, how we think about things and perceive things, how we react out of our feelings and attitudes might not change the actual weather, but it influences and very much determines how we handle the weather. And today we're going to see how the one factor in our thinking behavior that has the most influence on the climate of our hearts, this ceremony that we are called to share in by Jesus, the one we claim to follow, it points us to the discipline that is central to changing the climate of our hearts. I'd chosen our topic for today several months ago, and, and as I surveyed the Bible, I was once again overwhelmed at how central this subject is in God's Word as both the basis for and the indicator of whether climate change, a good kind, is happening in our hearts. But it was only this week as I was reading again the passages in both Matthew and Luke where Jesus institutes this ceremony. It hit me again. That it's right here. It's right here. Turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, grab your uh, smartphone and uh, download an app really quickly. And turn to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus institutes this ceremony by tapping into this central climate change strategy. Discipline that is essential to maintaining a heart that can literally say, as we heard several weeks ago, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. There are no such thing as bad circumstances, just poor, undeveloped, unhealthy attitudes to our circumstances. Listen to God's word. Listen to Jesus as he implements this ceremony beginning at uh, verse 26 of Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, 
Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's house. When he had given thanks. Now let's reflect on that phrase for a few minutes in, this, in, in the context in which Jesus did it. Jesus is thanking God for the cup and the bread, which symbolize what? His body that would be broken. His blood that would be shed for these very guys who would abandon him. And fail him. Why is Jesus giving thanks? What's with that? Does he have a deranged hero complex thing going on? Is this his attention getting moment of glory? Was this giving of thanks, just a sort of a ticky box ritual, a checkbox practice. That's what you do before you eat a meal together. Now, we have to assume that Jesus was being authentic in this prayer, right? Not just perfunctory. Can we assume that? So, who did Jesus claim, claim to be? The completion, the fulfillment. The climax of the story of God and his redeeming, rescuing, empowering love for humanity. The fulfillment of what was the word he used? The covenant that God made. And with this phrase, Jesus is tapping into a core thread in the story up to this point. About a central struggle of trying to process God and life. With this one little phrase, Jesus is calling to their minds, not just the covenant, but something their prophets and poets had emphasized, not just as a religious ritual, but as an important discipline to develop in a world with a lot of different weather patterns, many of which were influenced by human behavior, most of which wear us down. And take us out. He's talking about the discipline of gratitude. A heart orientation of thanksgiving. Which is the central heart discipline. That will change the climate of my heart. And that's the one central truth. We are going to work through. And work around. And think about this morning. Now let's break that statement down. Gratitude is a discipline to develop and practice. Now, how do we tend to think about gratitude? Well, in, in two ways, I think. First, 
We, we, we think about gratitude as a feeling, right? And when we don't have the feeling, we can't be grateful. And we say things like, well, I know I should be thankful, but, and we bring up some weather pattern. We bring up circumstances, some experience, some, some gap in our experience that hasn't been filled, some deficit we're experiencing because of something that has been taken away or which God hasn't given, which becomes our excuse for not feeling grateful, right? Well, let, let's look at some of the key statements in, in the Word of God which the people in Jesus' day had, which they claimed to want to live by, which Jesus is reminding them of as he begins this ceremony by giving thanks. Psalm 100 talks about how we need to gather to worship, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. And bless his name. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? We're commanded by God to come into his presence to get something out of it, right? Huh? (laughs) No, we're commanded to come into his presence with expressions to him of gratitude. I didn't get anything out of it. Well, the real thing we didn't get was this basic truth. You didn't come to get. You came to give, to be transformed by giving thanks to God. Psalm 136, the whole entire psalm is filled with expressions of of what God has done. Begins this way, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. The end of the, uh, at the end of the psalm, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. First Chronicles chapter 16, uh, chapter 16. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Over and over again, we're commanded to come before God with expressions of gratitude, telling, telling Him that we believe He is good. Giving thanks to whom? To God. You see, gratitude needs an object. Or is it a subject? Someone to whom we are grateful. Years ago, I had a young man who was interning with me to be a youth pastor, and, and uh, one week in our one-on-one together, uh, I, I was just asking him how he's doing. He was a young man who was desperately looking for a wife, and he said to me, you know, I, I have so much love for my future wife, and I, I haven't even met her yet. <laughs> Did he really have love for his wife? <laughs> He had a huge felt need for for a wife. But love needs an object to be real. So does Thanksgiving. Another man I met several years later, and he was several years older, he was a man who 
didn't have any felt need for God in his life. And actually, if he was asked, he would have said he didn't believe in God. He, he, would, he, he wasn't antagonistic. He just felt God was unnecessary. And then he had his first child. Here's what he told me. The doctor handed me the baby and he said, congratulations. And I suddenly realized I didn't have much to do with this. And he said, I had this incredible urge to thank someone. And so I thanked the doctor, but then I suddenly realized that he didn't have much to do with it either. And here's what he said. It made me ask myself seriously, who is it that I need to thank? And that led him on a journey to discover the God who had revealed himself in Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This man walked into that phrase. Now, let me tell you how we tend to read those statements that we just read from God's Word about giving thanks. You see, we move from one ditch to another. First of all, we think of gratitude as a feeling. And then we move into the other ditch, that gratitude and thanksgiving is simply a command to obey. Right? It's an obedience issue. I need to be thankful because God commands it. Isn't that what it says? We're commanded to give thanks. Well, that's true. But if that's what we focus on, then then we have a tendency to remain shallow, surface in our relationship with God. We face things again like, I know I should be thankful, but... And, And we give ourselves some excuse. Or we do something else. We say the words... But they are not words from hearts of gratitude. They are ticky box obedience things. Something I try, I I do to try to, to get on or stay on or prove I am on God's good side. But what if we said to our hearts as we read these these commands of God, what if we said, you know, if God commands it, it certainly wouldn't be for his own ego. He doesn't need my thanks. Why does he command it? Could it be that he commands us to be thankful because it's for my good? What if we looked at thanksgiving not just as a duty to obey, but as a discipline to develop that will actually change me? Could it be it will actually make me able to say, you know what? There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. It's gratitude. Thanksgiving from a grateful heart that changes everything. For most of the rest of our time, we're just going to explore several ways why it is that gratitude is so key to climate change. We're going to look at one negative reason and and two positive reasons as to why gratitude is such an important part of, of the climate change of my heart. Number one, the negative side. Because my natural bent is to live in the gap, to see the gap, what I don't have, right? If we know our story as humans, we know that the the way the enemy of God who created all things good, good, 
The way he came in was to get humans to see a little gap. What they couldn't have, right? Seeing the gap, the deficit, what I'm not getting is my natural bent. And it only got worse once they walked away from God. It's not just the story of humanity at the beginning. It's the story of of the people God created as his own out of whom he would send Jesus. The central story in God's Old Testament people, which became a picture for what Jesus came to be and do, was the exodus, rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt, powerfully, miraculously bringing them together under his love and truth. Through Moses, he he, he does miracles, including plagues on Egypt, that finally convinced Pharaoh to let them go, give them provisions even to get out of here. I mean, powerful stuff. They start out, and Pharaoh changes his mind. He feels the gap that they're leaving. And he sends his army after them, and he corners them. In front of them is the sea, behind and around them Pharaoh's armies, and they say... Okay, God, show up again, right? Wrong. They attack God and they attack Moses and they think God has abandoned them. And so God parts the Red Sea. He allows them to walk through and as Pharaoh's armies come after them, God stops the wind and the sea and he drowns Pharaoh's and his armies. Wow! Three days later. So... Sunday to Wednesday, hump day. They've run out of food and water, and they say, okay, God, we've learned. Now we're waiting for to see how you're going to show up this time. We're so thankful we know that you took us here because, because our resources are running low, Lord. Right? No. It starts to become a pattern. Grumbling. Grumbling not just against God, but against Moses and Aaron. By the way, that's who tends to take the brunt of our lack of gratitude, isn't it? The people in our lives, especially ones who should be making life easier for us at work, our government, our parents, our partners. Our children, thank God it doesn't happen in church. That's why I became a pastor, so I'd get out of an environment of grumbling. You see, when, when the gap is what we see, what comes out of our hearts is grumbling, worry and anxiety, fear, self-pity. I deserve to feel this way. About 20 years ago, I went through a, an, an Elijah kind of period in my life. I, I consulted with a physician and, who knew me quite well, and I shared with him things that I had noticed in my thinking, my feeling, my sleep patterns, and my attitudes. And, and we agreed that it might be worth it to try some antidepressants for a short time. I did. And I discovered something about myself that I didn't really want to know but I needed to know. After about 
10 days, two weeks of medication. I woke up one morning, got into the shower. As I'm showering, I, I, I felt angry. Angry, and I thought, nothing's happened today yet. Why am I angry? And I began thinking through my thoughts, rewinding the tape. I, I, I tried to trace it back to, to the root of my thinking and feeling. And I suddenly got this flash of insight. The reason I'm angry is because I feel okay. I don't feel discouraged, and I deserve to feel discouraged. That's where our gap thinking takes us. But behind all of those thoughts and feelings and perspective, the central characteristic of gap thinking and of shallow surface thanksgiving that does not really change our hearts is that our tendency is to focus on the goodies of God and not the goodness of God. God is good as long as the goodies are rolling. Immediate gratification. It's what we have to teach our toddlers. We teach them to wait a bit, right? God is good as long as the goodies are rolling, as long as we can experience him as a Disney dad, which is what makes lack of gratitude and grumbling a spiritual issue. When, we develop, when we're told to develop the discipline of gratitude, what is the, the number one, well, to put it in, gra- in grammatical terms, the, in, in sentence structure terms, what's the number one modifier in those statements we read? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love, His mercy endures forever. That's the negative side of why gratitude is a discipline we need to develop. It it takes our focus off the gap. The goodies I'm not getting or experiencing. Now now let's look at what gratitude does. Why it's gratitude from a positive side that we we need to develop as a discipline. Well, if, if lack of gratitude, failing to see and rest in the goodness of God, even when the goodies aren't coming, if that's a spiritual issue, well, the, the most positive reason that, that gratitude is a discipline we need to develop is that gratitude is, is the central weapon in what we sometimes call spiritual warfare. You see, we use that term spiritual warfare and we make it into such spooky or spectacular stuff, but spiritual warfare is simply dealing with life with true spirit-controlled thinking and perspectives. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 says this, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The lights have been turned on. And later on in that chapter, it says this, do not get drunk on wine. Don't allow your thinking to be controlled and dulled and and influenced by wine, which leads to debauchery instead Be filled with the Spirit, speaking and singing to each other God's Word, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving is the number one sign that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us 
And it's the number one way to open our hearts to be filled with God's Spirit. It's the key weapon we have to win the battle over our hearts and minds. The battle to keep seeing the goodness of God instead of the gap. The goodness of God instead of being addicted just to the goodies of God. Now we need to take a step back right here and see something about Thanksgiving. I came across an article this week by Adrian Rogers who talks about four levels of living when it comes to Thanksgiving. And I think this might be helpful for us. He talks about the first level as people who complain about everything. They actually think they have the spiritual gift of helping you see that things are not as good as you think they are. You make a positive statement, it's like, yeah, well, what about this? Right? There's another level that's, that's just one little step higher. There's these people that don't actively grumble. They just, they just never give thanks for anything. They, they take things for granted. And then there are those, perhaps the place where the majority of us tend to live unless we discipline ourselves to live differently. And that is those who thank God for obvious blessings. Something good happens, a goodie comes along, and they're quick to thank God. And it's usually about circumstantial stuff, right? But that's not the attitude that will change life. It's the fourth level that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5. Giving thanks to God for everything and in everything. Do you know who stands out in my mind as the greatest example of this in the Bible? It's the prophet Daniel. Daniel, who as we saw several years ago, is working our way through the book. He's, he's a worshiper of God. And he's hauled off to Babylon in this this brain drain strategy to remove all of the best and brightest from from all of the other nations to to minimize the potential for rebellion and and to train them in the way the world really works. Babylon is the ultimate symbol of a world system opposed to God. And Daniel, even though he gives himself to be faithful to God, or is it because he gives himself to be faithful to God? He rises in influence and position with the king of Babylon. And as we come to chapter 6, the king of the next kingdom that takes over Babylon, topples Babylon and rises up with Darius, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Darius takes over and, and he sets up his administration over his kingdom. He has 120 regional managers and, and three directors over these regional managers. And Daniel, the Jew, is one of the top three. Daniel does so well that the king plans to put him over everyone as the top of the top three. The other administrators, the directors, and the regional managers are jealous, and they propose a plan the king falls for. They get together They go to the king and said, oh, King Darius, we think it's time to celebrate your accomplishments and cement, solidify your leadership. I I know you believe in multiculturalism, but for the next 30 days, let's have this period during which we show 
that you can worship whoever you want as long as it doesn't interfere with loyalty to a God other than you. Anyone who prays to a God other than you for the next 30 days, just 30 days, will get thrown into the lion's den as, as a signal that you are number one. What do you think? Sounds like a good plan. And he signs a decree that could not be changed. We come to verse 6 of Daniel 10. It says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and wept and worried and didn't know what. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just like he always had done. You see, in Daniel's mind, nothing had changed. God is still good, and God is in control of the one who is in control. And we know the rest of the story. Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel's strength, Daniel's wisdom, Daniel's favor with God and people was, was rooted in thanksgiving, in confidence in, in rest in, trust in the goodness of God. Even when his experience seemed like God was powerless, like the goodies were no longer coming, and Daniel came out protected by God, and he rose in the kingdom. That's level four, gratitude. Why gratitude? Number three, because gratitude changes what I see and how I see what I see. Brene Brown, who some of you know is a social science researcher and author of, of uh, the stuff that some of you read, good stuff, one of her latest research subjects is this whole area of gratitude. Well, not latest. She's, she's researched it for years. Very quickly, as, as she, she discovered that, that there was a direct correlation between joy and gratitude. In 12 years of research, 11,000 pieces of data, joy and gratitude were always correlated universally. And so she explored that further, and her assumption was that she would find that if you were a joyful person, it would lead you to be a grateful person. But what she discovered is that it's actually the other way around. Practicing gratitude invites joy into our life. And here's how she puts it. It's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us happy. I think she could have got that from the writings of Paul. Ephesians 5, which we looked at, gratitude, thanksgiving is the spiritual discipline that leads to a life of fullness in God's spirit. And in Galatians 5, the fruit the outward-facing fruit of an environment of gratitude is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no gratitude in there. I don't think it's a stretch to conclude that it's not there because thanksgiving is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's the root out of which the fruit of God's Spirit can be produced 
in our life. When I think of someone who lived as if Thanksgiving was the root of the fruit of the Spirit, I think of a man by the name of Abe Wintz. Abe was a retired railway engineer in northern BC, and um, Abe was a member of our church, and, and Abe just, Abe was always thanking God for everything. One day, he came into my office. Well, it wasn't one day. For over a period of time, he said, Mel, we've got to get you out of the office. You've got to get out into nature. And, and he convinced me that it was part of my job to go fishing with him one day. And so he took me out in his canoe to, I said, well, where we're we going? He said, we're going to Zippermouth Lake. And as far as you're concerned, it will always be Zippermouth Lake. He took me to this, this lake, big lake. We canoed across the lake in his canoe. We portaged a couple of hundred yards to a little lake that was on the edge of the railway tracks that he had gone on for many years. And he said, there's got to be fish in here. And we went and we, in his canoe, we trolled all day long, just paddling. And it was a beautiful day. And, uh, and Abe was, Abe was, one of these guys, he was, he was, I was sitting in the front, he was sitting in the back, he was talking, always happy, but you never knew, was he talking to me, or is he all of a sudden talking to God? Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful weather we're getting today with, to be with my brother Mel, and, and then he just talked to me, and, and uh, there came a point in time where, where I, I hooked a fish, and, and I was reeling it in, and, and, and as, as I hooked on this fish, an eagle came down as the fish surfaced, the eagle came down, grabbed the fish, and the eagle and I are fighting for this fish. And Abe is saying, oh, thank you, God, for this beautiful picture of what happens in nature. And it was an amazing day. Because Abe was a man who knew the discipline of gratitude. So let's spend just a little bit of time before we wrap it up. Talking about how can I develop this discipline of gratitude. Well, first of all, it realizes it's so important to work into our heart and mind that it is a discipline to develop, not something to wait as a feeling to come on us. It is a discipline to develop. And number two, simply make a daily gratitude list. LaDonna and I have someone who's very dear to us in our life for whom life has not been good in many ways. And although from many outward measures her life sucks, it really does she has developed a mantra, a mantra that is helping her take charge of her life. She says, I am not going to let my body or my head beat me. And one of her disciplines is that the first thing she does when she gets up is she writes down so she can see them and remember them. Three things, three things that she is grateful for. And here's the key. Every day, the three things that she writes down has to be different from anything she's written down to that point. And she would tell you that the further she goes along, the deeper her list gets and the more she trusts and rests in the goodness of God, whether or not life is delivering on his goodies at that moment. Another aspect of this discipline I learned at a very rough time in my life a number of years ago, I, I left being a pastor for a period of time. And when I left, dear people said to me, what are you going to do? And my stock answer was, well, now I'm going to see if I can be a Christian if I'm not a pastor. Usually they would chuckle graciously at my twisted sense of humor. And I say, no, I'm serious. Really. Can I really live it if I'm not a professional Christian? I, I needed to prove that. And I went into a very tough environment, and one of the things I did was to discipline myself, to ask myself the question every single morning, and then in every single situation that I encountered, every experience, 
What's the gift in this? What is the gift in this? Taken at face value, this sucks. But if I believe that God is good, if I believe that God works all things for my good, then in every situation or perhaps coming out of every situation or as a result of that situation, there has to be some good. And I don't want to miss it. It was amazing how God met me and what God taught me with that one question and how it kept me from having a hard heart. Another one, sing to yourself and listen to the right songs. Be filled with the Spirit, says Paul, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to the Lord, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father. In a book called I Am Strong, John Dickerson talks about the songs that we sing in our hearts and and referring to the biblical command to sing and and the pilgrim's practice of singing. We have some of those songs, songs in the Psalms. He says this, oppressors may steal your home, your money, even your identity, but they can never steal your songs. Not the ones you carry in your blood. The strongest Christians, the sturdiest believers are simply people who have learned to carry traveling songs in their bones. Their words and tunes will vary, but their unchanging themes do not. That's why music, good music, is and should be a big deal in the church because it helps us develop hearts of gratitude. What's good music? It's music that your heart can grab onto, that inspires thanksgiving, that you can sing on the road. That's good music. Number five, you got to live in the mission. Be a conveyor of God's goodness to others, not just a consumer of God's goodness for myself. Where does the Bible say that? Well, the way that's the most powerful for me is a very clear and powerful negative example. Jonah, when he was given a mission by God to share the love of God with people who didn't deserve us, who were against God, he runs away and finds himself in the belly of a whale, at least the whale of a belly. And suddenly Jonah gets as pious as can be and he, he, he composes out of duty, obedience, A very religious sounding prayer, a psalm. And he ends with this statement those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, or as the English Standard Version says, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That sounds so. So authentic, repentant even. But God tests him to see whether thanksgiving to God for his salvation has actually changed his heart. He said, "Uh uh-uh, Jonah, you're not going to the temple. You're going to Nineveh to tell them that salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah goes, but not 
with a heart of thanksgiving for the salvation that comes from the Lord. He grumbles and he turns into a sour saint. You gotta find ways to pass on the goodness and love of God. So let's come back to where we started. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to those who claimed to follow him, take this, eat it in remembrance of me. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Saying, drink from it, all of you. This blood is the covenant that God made with you. It is the fulfillment of his love which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is thanking God because of the real life, real time, real world act of his death which would prove that nobody could ever again doubt the goodness of God. Because this is the way back into the righteousness of God for which we were created and from which we walked. Because of this Because of the cross, we know that worship, we know that life of faith in and worshiping God, gratitude to God, is not not an escape from reality. It is an escape out of the the bubbles that I create to try to live in, the prisons I I allow myself to be trapped in, or for no no reason of my own have fallen into. This is is not an escape from reality. It is an escape from my little realities into the real reality of the bigness, the fullness, the richness, the empowerment of the goodness and mercy and grace and love of God for me. We we do this directly at the invitation of Jesus. It's not an invitation to to just do a religious ritual. It's an invitation to make this your big reality, your real reality. You were invited by Jesus to take this. If by taking this, you want to say, I see it, I'm in. Maybe for the first time. You were invited to take it. If by this, 
you want to say, okay, I, I, I do want to continue to develop the discipline of gratitude. I am forever grateful and I want that to show in everything I am and do and say. Would you just pause, close your eyes, bow your head, and and just reflect in silence as in Renew, David and, and the music leaders and servers come forward and in traditions here as our musicians and, and leaders and servers come forward, you just pause for a while in silence and reflect on how the discipline of gratitude might shape your life. <laughs>